Um, so for my first pregnancy, the only information that I had from my doctor about the position that my baby should be in was that she needed to be head down and that I would have an ultrasound at 36 weeks to confirm this. Welcome to the Labor Lessons Podcast, real life lessons from real life labor and delivery experiences, offering support and the knowledge that you are not alone on your birthing journey. The purpose of this podcast is to educate based on others' past experiences. It is not intended as medical advice. I'm your host, Carly, C-section mom, VBAC mom, and mom who's simply passionate about birth. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for the latest episode of the Labor Lessons Podcast. Today's lesson is that my position during labor may matter more than my baby's. And let me just clarify by saying that this is not necessarily true for everyone. This is true for me, from my experience. So today I'm going to talk about how my first baby's position during labor led to my C-section and how I avoided the same thing happening with my second child. My first pregnancy, I had a C-section due to my baby being posterior and stuck in my pelvis. Now, occiput posterior, or OP, is when the back of the baby's head, baby's occiput, is against the mother's back. It's also called sunny side up. Um, eh, Kind of a funny term for it. Uh, This is opposite of the ideal position, OA, or occiput anterior, which is when the baby is facing mother's spine. This is the ideal position for birth because the baby can tuck their chin so that the crown of their head emerges first, which is where the term baby is crowning comes from. Um, It is the uh, smallest part of the head that emerges first, and the bones in the head are able to move and flex. Baby's able to flex their spine um, to be able to be accommodated by the birth canal, to make their way through the birth canal. A posterior baby is not able to do this. A lot of the times their chin is up, their spine is extended, and they're not exactly able to get through the birth canal easily. It is harder to push a posterior baby out. Um, because they cannot tuck their head, because they cannot tuck their chin into their chest to make it under the pelvic bone. Um, And how to tell if your baby is posterior, you may have stop and start labor, you might have irregular contractions. Women will say they have a lot of like uh, back labor when their baby is posterior. That's not necessarily true, but um, for a lot of women, it seems to be. Um, So for my first pregnancy, the only information that I had from my doctor about the position that my baby should be in was that she needed to be head down and that I would have an ultrasound at 36 weeks to confirm this. Um, And I just remember being so nervous my whole pregnancy that she wasn't going to be head down. She wasn't going to turn head down. Um, and And then I had a huge sigh of relief at my 36 week ultrasound when I found out that she was head down. I was like, oh, she's in position. She's ready. Things are going well. Um, I found out that she was posterior when we arrived at the hospital. I had an ultrasound when we arrived at the hospital. They gave me an ultrasound to make sure she was still head down. And I just remember my husband saying, look, there's her eye sockets. You can see her eye sockets. And I, you know, was pretty out of it at the time. I wasn't paying attention, but that stuck with me because we didn't see that at my 36-week ultrasound. She was anterior. We saw the back of her head. 
Um, I didn't at that time know that posterior was a thing. Um, and I certainly didn't know that it would be harder to get her out. Uh, I had gotten the epidural. I labored on my back, pushed on my back. I pushed on my back for three hours with an epidural and I couldn't feel anything. Um, and she was stuck. We attempted a vacuum. The doctor attempted to use a vacuum, which didn't work. Um, and so I ended up with a C-section. Um, and I attributed my C-section to the epidural and also to my baby's positioning. Well, if she hadn't been posterior, it might have been a little bit easier to get her out. It's rare. It's rare for babies to be born posterior. Only about 5 to 8% of babies are actually born posterior. Um, but as many as up to a third of babies may be posterior when labor begins. And then they rotate out of the posterior position into an anterior position to come out you know, face down, top of their head first. Um, so they turn at some point during labor. Having a posterior baby, giving birth to a posterior baby significantly raises your risk of having an assisted vaginal delivery, such as a vacuum or forceps or a C-section. Uh, you also have a longer pushing time with a posterior baby. You have higher rates of episiotomy and use of Pitocin when the baby is posterior. So I can say for me, I had longer pushing time. Three hours is considered like extended pushing. Um, I had an assisted, well, attempted assisted vaginal delivery. The doctor used the, the vacuum. Uh, we did not attempt forceps. Um, and it ended in a C-section. Uh, so I can say that for, for these, they definitely, that definitely applied to me. With my second pregnancy, I was going for a VBAC, which stands for vaginal birth after cesarean. Um, I did not want to have another C-section. So I was going for a VBAC, and I was obsessed with my baby's position. Uh, I was determined to not have a posterior baby. And I remember looking back throughout my pregnancy with my first daughter and all the times that I had, like, sat back on the couch when I came home from work and just put my feet up or, you know, was sitting in, like, a reclining position for a lot of my... Um, free time that I had to myself. I also said, you know, thought that that had contributed to her being posterior. So I, this time, my second pregnancy, I rarely, I did my best to not recline, to not lean back. I sat forward a lot on the floor or on a birthing ball. I would sit on a birthing ball when I, you know, ate dinner or watched TV. Um, I did a lot of stretching. I did spinning babies, uh, spinning babies exercises, which spinning babies is a program designed by a midwife to help get the baby into an ideal position for birth. So there are daily activities, daily exercises that you do. There are weekly exercises that you do. And then there are these like occasional ones when um, you know baby's not in the optimal position or you're getting ready to go into labor or you're in labor and you want to adjust baby's position. Um, I saw a Webster certified chiropractor which is a chiropractor who is specifically certified to treat pregnant pregnant women. Um, and towards the end of my pregnancy, I tried to spend a lot of time on my hands and knees to try and help get baby into the ideal position. So throughout my pregnancy, I remember my second daughter was in the same position as my first daughter was. Um, and I could feel her her butt to the right side of my belly and her feet on the left side. And I just remember like being so afraid that she would rotate clockwise. Babies tend to rotate clockwise during labor. I remember being just so afraid that she was going to rotate clockwise and get stuck in the posterior position the same way that my first did. Um, and I remember talking about 
about this to my midwife and my midwife wasn't really too concerned. It was like, well, you know, she might rotate past the posterior position or, you know, she might get into a posterior position and then continue to rotate throughout labor. Um, so I was, I was really nervous about it and was like continually trying to flip her to the other side. Whereas my midwife was kind of like, well, we'll just wait and see what happens. And even if she is posterior, that doesn't mean that you're not able to get her out. Uh, my midwife and I both decided, we came to a conclusion together, that my best course of action to have a VBAC would be to labor at home as long as possible. This way I could be like mobile, moving during labor. I would um, have less chance of having interventions such as, you know, the use of Pitocin or an epidural. Um, the week leading up to labor, I had stop and start contractions. So I had about uh, two or three nights the week previous before I went into labor um, where my contractions would start maybe around 10 or 11 o'clock at night. We'll go for a couple hours and then fizzle out. So I was waiting, kept waiting for, you know, labor to actually start. And then when these contractions, I was like, oh, I'm not really sure. And then they would stop. So when my labor actually started, I wasn't positive that I was in labor. I thought it was another one of these false labors. Um, I went into labor, actual labor, the night before my due date. Started around 11 o'clock at night, and I, I mean, started, I had regular contractions right away, coming every four minutes. I didn't have any back labor, so there was no sign of having a posterior baby. I had regular contractions, no back labor, um, and things progressed smoothly. Um, I labored at home as long as possible. Overnight, I labored a little too long at home. Um... So I did not get to birth with my midwife. I did not get to birth at the hospital I was originally supposed to. Um, I was, I labored too long and started pushing at the house. So we went to the closest hospital, which was the hospital where I had my C-section. I did not have an ultrasound upon arrival at the hospital. There was I mean, literally no time I was pushing. And I tried, had tried to push in different positions um, and I really had wanted to push on my hands and knees, but I, the, I wasn't making fast enough progress for the nurses. So they had me lay on my back and they brought me a mirror at one point and I could see her head. She was coming out. I could see her head. And I remember thinking to myself, I think she might be posterior. I think I see the top of her head, like her forehead. Um, and it turns out she was, and I pushed her out sunny side up posterior, um, in the same exact position that my first was. And now for the part of the show that I like to call ridiculous things my husband has said to me while pregnant. Ladies, why is it that guys just seem to say the dumbest things? Because they don't think before they speak? Because they're trying to be funny? When I was pretty pregnant with my first, like eight months pregnant, we were driving on the highway and we saw one of those giant flatbed trucks carrying a trailer or house, something like that. You know the ones, the ones that say wide load on the back. My husband turns to me and says, wide load. Huh, we should get one of those signs for you. Yes, ladies, he lived to see our daughter be born, but just barely. If you've got a ridiculous thing your boyfriend or husband has said to you during your pregnancy, Visit me at laborlessons.com, and we'll share it with the rest of the listeners. Now back to the episode. 
I feel that there was a couple things I did differently between my first labor and my second labor that made the difference in me being able to get a posterior baby out that I did not do the first time around. So this time, the second time around, I did not have an epidural. I was actually able to feel myself pushing um, and I knew which positions were comfortable for me to push in based off of how that felt. I was mobile during labor. So I spent, I mean, I did all my laboring at home. Um, I spent the majority of the time on my hands and knees, rocking back and forth. Um, I was also up walking, you know, back and forth from the living room to the bathroom to get to get water. Um, so I was mobile. I did a lot of moving around from the walk from the car to the hospital, from, from my house to the car to get to the hospital. Um, I had pushed in different positions, so I did a little, a little bit of uh, side-lying pushing, both at home and at the hospital, pushing on my hands and knees, pushing while I was like uh, in a semi-squatting position at home, um, and then at the hospital, tried to push on all fours and ended up on my back. Now, I had learned in the process of preparing for my V-back that if you do push on your back, especially if you have an epidural, if you do push on your back to roll up a towel and place it under your lower back, your pelvis needs to be able to move during labor to accommodate baby coming out. And when you lay flat on your back, you close your pelvis, you make your pelvis 30% smaller when you're laying flat on your back. And the main difference is that your sacrum, which is your tailbone, is not able to move. You've kind of like smushed it into this position and there's no no room for it to move around to help get the baby out. So I had learned this. So in the middle of pushing on my back, I asked one of my nurses for a rolled up towel to roll up a towel and place it under my lower back. And she did. And I feel like that, you know, that was able to help open my pelvis and, and get my baby the rest of the way out. Now, I am not sure that any one of these things made a difference. I'm not sure if it was all of these things combined together. Um, I've gone back and looked at some, you know, differences between my first labor and my second labor. My daughters did not have that big of a difference in birth weight. Um, my first daughter was eight pounds, two ounces. My second daughter was seven pounds, 11 ounces. So there was a seven ounce difference there, about a half a pound, which is not that significant as far as being able to push a baby out. Uh, I think there was a difference of about a quarter inch in head circumference. Um, so not a huge difference there either. They were both around the same size, um, same size head, same position. The only difference was how I handled each one of these labors. So the first was a medicated labor. Most of, you know, a lot of my laboring. I arrived at the hospital with my first at six centimeters when they admitted me. So um, from six to 10 centimeters, I did all that laboring on my back with an epidural. Um, I did use a peanut ball and was rotated from side to side. But the majority of that was done on my back. All of my pushing was done on my back. Um, in a, you know, reclined position or semi-reclined position, maybe partway sitting up, but I had no movement. I had no feeling in my legs. I couldn't do a lot of moving around to accommodate different positions to push in. Uh, for my second, I pushed in a variety of positions and ended up giving birth on my back. Um, and it's possible that the biggest difference was that for my first in pushing, I was flat on my back. But for my second, 
I had a little bit of room for my tailbone to move around, for my sacrum to move. I had the towel rolled up under my back. And it is possible that that right there, that small detail, made the difference in being able to get my posterior baby out. There are a variety of positions that are more accommodating for posterior babies, such as pushing on hands and knees. And it's possible that some of the pushing I did on my hands and knees was was allowed her to move past a certain point in my pelvis that I was able to get her out. Um, but it's also possible that just the small detail of allowing my pelvis to open that extra 30% was what did it. And even though I did not have an epidural and even though I was mostly mobile during labor, um, that may have helped and that may not have helped. And that's something that I will not know. Um, but these are the things, these are the changes that I made between my first daughter and my second daughter that for me gave me this gave me this lesson that my position during labor might matter more than my baby's position. And that's all for today. If you enjoy this podcast, I'd just like to ask that you share it with a friend so that they can listen and enjoy it as well. Until next time, 